Welcome to Crawford Media with me, Hal Crawford. Today, I'm speaking to a former colleague of mine, Sarah Bristow, who is now running the Discovery Newsroom in New Zealand. Sarah's role at Discovery is News Director, and her primary news vehicle is something called News Hub. It's a brand and a job I know well. I was News Director before Sarah, and we worked together for years. At the time, Sarah was the executive producer of our morning TV show and was a fast-rising star. I observed and admired Sarah's abilities firsthand. In particular, the way she managed to set a high standard without savaging the people who worked for her. In this conversation, we cover the issue of working in news with a busy family life, Sarah's experience in Australian TV, and what it's like to sometimes feel you're failing everyone. Here's Sarah Bristow. I think we might as well just get straight into it. I used to speak to people when I was a news director and very often they would think that I was intimately involved with making the product and furthermore that I knew everything about some crime that might have happened in Auckland or something of that nature. That's that's really the case for a news director, isn't it? Yeah, you're, you're certainly that escalation point. I trust all of my news leaders to be all across all of those details and to be bumping anything up to me that I need to know about from a legal perspective or because we've got a particularly challenging situation. But obviously, as a news director, I'm keen to keep across in a broad sense what the news of the day is and, and what our different teams are doing on a weekly basis anyway. And sometimes uh, it does get escalated to you, as you mentioned, in the middle of the night. I vividly remember one time there was a there was a big earthquake centred around Kaikoura, and the phone started ringing there in the in the dead of night. It's a strange feeling, that isn't it? When's that happened to you recently? Prince Philip, we were. Well, I was tucked up in bed and and got a phone call coming through and I think I let out a few expletives in the moment and and then just the surge of adrenaline hit and it really is, okay, what are we doing? How can we get, you know, this news out to people as as fast as possible? Yeah, that I missed that surge of adrenaline moment. It's an extraordinary feeling in a newsroom when news is breaking. Yeah, I I know of people from other departments who make a point of visiting the newsroom when when we're in full flight covering something because the vibe and the sense of urgency and the extraordinary kind of camaraderie that is that is apparent in those moments is just it's really something to behold. Yeah, it's I think it's seeing journalists at their best, which is responding to things in the moment. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. It's everyone just mucks in and it it really is coming together to get out people pitching in um, from other departments, people pitching in, just doing whatever is required to make sure that we have the best coverage we can in those kind of situations. Now, when you became news director, you were already a very busy person on the work front and the home front. You've got twins and another boy. A lot of people always wondered how you did it. How does it work? Yeah, the juggle is real. I've, as you say, got three kids, Harrison's eight, and the twins, Jed and Archer, who are five in July. So I've been dealing, well, I've been 
kind of progressing, I suppose, my way through the newsroom and into senior leadership roles since they were fairly little. But then I have a newsroom of around 230 people who are also vitally important to me. So I think I do have an issue with work-life balance at, at times. And I do have an issue with some days feeling like I'm failing on all fronts. It's certainly not the case all the time. Sometimes there are days where I'm on cloud nine, but others, other days, you just feel like you're spreading yourself too thin and letting people down, whether that be your family, kids, your husband, your colleagues. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just something that you have to adjust to, I think. And certainly I'm not alone. There are many, many other people who are, who are, who know the juggle is real also. Well, it's on so many fronts. As you say, you've got to be across a lot of actual factual information. You've got to be in many places physically. How how important to you is or do you think to your role is actually physically getting around and seeing people, whether that be in Auckland or Wellington or Christchurch or wherever? Vitally important. And that's been something that's COVID has thrown challenges our way in that regard because I took over in February 2020, then the world tipped upside down. And so I haven't been able to get down to Wellington and Christchurch as much as I would have liked because of those physical restrictions. So always, you know, when I'm able to visit those those centres, it, it's so much more meaningful having those face-to-face conversations with people. Yeah, yeah, it really, it makes a difference. And, and the news director of such a big newsroom really is um, part, I hate to say this, but part politician. You really, you've got to lead and be visibly leading is, is my experience. And, and just seeing and talking to you is is really important to people. Yeah, and I want to feel like, I want people to feel like I'm accessible and that they can come up and talk to me about about anything that's on their mind. But also it's really important for me that my leaders are present and around and and equally as accessible so that I'm empowering them to kind of lead the newsroom as well. Yeah, that's a that's a tough one, isn't it? Because you've come up from the from the ranks, so to speak. You were a executive producer for a long time and a very good one. You know, executive producers are people who get shit done and they're across the detail. Have you had trouble letting go? Well, I think, Cal, you and I spent lots of time talking about me trying to let go. And it is a constant um, work on, but it's something I've had to do out of necessity, actually, because my job is not being in the nitty gritty on a daily basis. My job is looking up and looking out and and figuring out where we want to be in, in the months and years to come. So absolutely, I've had to, you know, let go. We've spoken about you juggling. You've been in TV I think your whole career, is that right? Your whole career? I spent a bit of time in radio, radio news, about five years um, as a radio reporter for News Talk ZB and Radio New Zealand in my early days, but the rest of it, yeah, largely yeah. in television. Yeah, and there's quite a lot of, or there has been quite a lot of testosterone and, and you know, sort of male table thumping in TV. How, do, do you find it or have you found it a particularly male-dominated misogynistic environment? What's your experience? I think historically male dominated in terms of some of those leadership roles, absolutely. I have had, I think, a fairly amazing experience through the industry. I've always felt really well supported by my bosses. And I know that's not necessarily the case for 
other women. And I suppose what's frustrating is that I really believe that there there will have been some some women who have been more than capable of taking on a, a job like mine at some point in time in the past who just might not have been given the backing or the opportunity to do so. And, and that really saddens me and is a little bit of an indictment, I think, on our industry. It's interesting. I remember reading an article uh, that came out after I was appointed as director of news. And in this, it was a News Hub article, in fact, they specifically highlighted that I was a mother of three. Sarah Bristow, mother of three, takes over as director of, of news. But they didn't say that about me when I took over. Interesting, eh? And it just goes to show that I think that reporter felt it was something worth mentioning in the article. And I think that's that's telling. It, was that part of the coverage when you were appointed, no, Hal? Because no, you equally I, have three children. I do. I've got three. You've got three. Well matched, actually. Mine are all daughters. Yours are all sons. Yeah, no, I, ha I had other things that were said uh, about <laughs> me when I was appointed. One thing about you, Sarah, is that to me, you, you're not going to agree with this, but I think you're pretty emotionally tough. Do you agree with it? Oh, gosh, the amount of times that I, I let my emotions kind of just pour out and feel like I, I wear my heart on my sleeve. No, I don't, I don't know whether I am, but I don't know. I suppose it's maybe trying to focus on, on the right things. I, I don't have any qualms about you know, letting my emotions out. When you talk about females entering the the kind of roles that that I am occupying, yeah, I am mad. <laughs> and I've let a few expletives rip in the past about being being in this position because I, I do feel like there have been plenty of women in the past who've been able to do this job. And then p one part of me thinks maybe I'm just the the silly one who's decided to take on the job as well as being the mum of three. So yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really dwell on the negatives of the job when I was trying to sell it to you. <laughs> it's just that it's immense amount of work. You're across everything all the time. News is 24-7, so yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. It's the great strength of journalists and the great weakness, which is that ability to respond at any moment is sort of usually married up with a, a reluctance to plan properly for the future. You said that you have that tendency to let your emotions out, and I actually think that that's a strength because it's not just emotions, it's snap reactions to things that happen, especially in TV land, everything's all very real time, and you won't hold back. I think some people are scared of you for that reason. Do you do you ever get any of that? Do you see that people are a little bit intimidated by you? Yeah, I, I find it hard to fathom that, but I appreciate that maybe people's experience, particularly I think in times gone by when I have reacted rather firmly to, to different um, situations. But I suppose what I what I try to do is always think of the best thing for the program, the best thing for our audiences. And so if I feel like I'm acting in accordance with that, I, I have learnt over the, over the years to temper some of my directness, I think, which, you know, is interesting because I, I had an experience working in, in media in Australia and that was an essential way to communicate in newsrooms in Australia. 
everyone was very direct and very up the guts. And so when I came back to New Zealand to work here, I had to learn the art of subtlety all over again. And and that meant a whole lot more pleases and thank yous than I might have been used to in Australia. Mm. So I think that I, I would hope that I've come a long way. Can you just explain the circumstances under which you started working in Australia? Yeah, so I I upstixed and moved to to Sydney to set up the breakfast show at Channel Ten. Paul Henry was one of the hosts at the time, and had a, an amazing experience working at Channel Ten at that show, and learnt a whole lot. I don't know if you've listened to it. Paul spoke about his um, disappointment, but also his pride in the show that you guys created together, which he, he described as having people took a set against it and it was effectively starved of funding. But the more that was taken out, the better the show became. Is that how you saw it? Gosh, the amount of conversations that Paul and I have had d- dissecting that experience. I think what I learned about that was how not to launch a breakfast show. It was a a very valuable lesson and something that I've, you know, taken into into subsequent shows because we were really up against it and there were significant changes in management that meant that company priorities changed pretty soon after launch. So it became a really tough situation very quickly. We had no marketing support, for example. And when you're up against the likes of Sunrise and Today, that's just not going to fly if you're trying to build a, a breakfast show. So I think I did experience in that year the full roller coaster of emotions, the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. At the beginning, it was extremely exciting setting up the show from scratch. And I remember we launched early after only a, a couple of rehearsals because there was a leadership spill playing out between Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd. And we just thought, you know what, we're just going to capitalize on this and, and push go. And I didn't sleep for 36 hours apart from about a 15 minute nap on the couch in the green room. And we launched with a hell of a lot of gusto. And it became very clear though, that not all of the team were on the same page as to what we wanted to do with the show, what we wanted to achieve. And And you were EP, just to clarify, you were EP of that show? Not at the beginning. So midway through the year, we had a host leave, the executive producer left, and then I took over as executive producer halfway through the year. And it was very strange to take over at that time because obviously I wanted to make the best of of things, but it was kind of clear the company had lost its appetite for the show. So I just took a real, I don't know, I won't I won't say gung ho um, attitude, but it was it was sort of like let's just make the most of this opportunity and try to get the show to the the best that we can can get it. And so we got all of the team together, the hosts, the production team, directors talked about what we wanted to do as a show, who we wanted to appeal to, and really had everyone on the same page. And that's when we started seeing audiences, the audience ratings tracking in the right direction. But unfortunately, by that time, it was was really a fait accompli and and it was kind of clear that that there wasn't the appetite to carry on with the show. Something I had to learn as I learned the ropes of TV was just how long it takes to build anything in TV, mm. radio as well, but TV particularly. These are super tankers and you're not turning things around overnight, mm. are you? No, and I think it's 
it's constant fine tuning and looking back on a show, what worked, what didn't work, how can we do it differently next time? And, and for hosting combos as well, it does take time to get to know the people you're sitting next to and for that conversation to be authentic and to, to gauge when someone's finished their sentence and you can jump in. Speaking of, of that, you have a very strong working relationship with Paul Henry. We mentioned him earlier and Paul is a very good broadcaster. How do you think about working with him is, is he sort of amongst the best broadcasters you've worked with he, he's spoken about being a bit of a loner what's it like working with paul he would like to say he's a loner but then he loves enthralling people with his stories as well i had a great experience working with him he is among the best of the best and i think taught me many things as a producer and was kind of the one who said to me because I, I always wanted to be a reporter and on air. And he was the one who said to me, Sarah, you can be a good reporter, but you could be an excellent producer. And he also said to me, do you want to be in charge of, of two minutes of a bulletin or do you want to be in charge of the whole thing? And I think he pretty much knew and I knew as well that I was a whole program kind of person. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even more, not yeah. just the whole program, every program as well, every show. Yeah. When you and I first started working, the company was called MediaWorks. It, it, the TV arm of the business was sold to Discovery. Has that changed the nature of, of what you do at all? Well, I think we spent many, many months and years, in fact, where we didn't really know what the future was. We didn't really have a plan for the future because we didn't know whether we would have one. So to be brought by Discovery, which in reality, powerhouse in terms of creating content globally, and also a company that's really displayed that they know how important local production, local news, local markets are in terms of serving local audiences. So it feels like chalk and cheese and it, it feels like we now have a very secure future that has been amazing to see the weight of that worry lifted from my team's shoulders and the fact that they can now go out and be confident in in our future and and just concentrate on really being the very best journalists and creating the best you know content telling the best stories being the most dynamic newsroom in the industry without worrying about where the next paycheck might come from. Mm, mm. I've bounced a list of 10 encouragements off uh, a few people that I know and respect in, in news media. These encouragements come from the work of Alfred Adler, a Viennese psychologist, but I think they're relevant to people. I'm not sure if they're all correct, but one of the most important ones is that you have chosen to feel the way that you feel like that as a sort of a core principle to me is is important. A lot of people don't like it because it, it sort of takes all the responsibility onto the individual. What's your reaction to, to that one? You have chosen to feel the way that you feel. Yeah, I, I mean, there is, I think, absolutely an element of truth to that because that's about mindset, isn't it? And And about resilience. What I find is if my resilience is running low, um, then I can f feel very different about a situation and and see see that situation much differently. Uh, I do much better when you know I have a plan and I know what the next steps are, the next steps that I need to take with a challenging situation. And 
when I know this, I feel empowered. And when my resilience is, is depleted, certainly that's, you know, that's when things seem less clear and less certain. It's so important what you say about having a plan, isn't it? It's just like people are actually really good if they know where they're going and, <laughs> and quite bad if they don't. Yeah, I, I find if I'm if I'm struggling with a situation, it's usually okay. I'm just going to sit down and I'm just going to nail out what this plan is. What's my plan to to tackle this this issue? And at that time, when you've gone through that, I I feel that change almost immediately mm. in the mindset. So, so you mentioned with the with the buyout um, by discovery that there's a certain amount of uh, certainty in the future. But there are big challenges around TV, aren't there? Because the, the 6 p.m. bulletin, we know that, or I know, <laughs> I know intimately <laughs> that people people using television at, at 6 p.m. has been declining for 15 years. How do you th- think about managing the erosion of TV audiences? Yeah, it's it's interesting because it, it is such a competitive industry and now there are there are more and more things that are that are vying for our attention podcasts like we're on now netflix youtube all of these other things that weren't weren't a thing that we're now competing with essentially and trying to to draw people in to to watch to choose us to watch our news what we've we've seen is this really big uptick in consumption of online video content and as it happens, News Hub does a fantastic job of generating phenomenal video news content. We are really, really proud of the work that we do in, in creating that, that content. So if we think of what we're doing, we're creating compelling video news content that happens to live at the moment in, on TV, but more and more we want to, to see that content living on on our digital and social platforms so we we're focused on on growing our audiences on on digital and, and social with the goal of becoming kiwi's first choice for video news tell me about facebook and google you'll be aware of the media bargaining code in australia where there's a transfer of money from facebook and google i should call them meta and google to australian media companies should they is that is that the correct model for New Zealand to to be following? Look, we're in conversations with Facebook and Google at the moment, so I, I don't really want to go into details around that. Suffice to say, it's really important that we keep focused on what's going to be the best outcome for journalism and for news media in New Zealand. We think something needs to change, and and we're really hopeful that that that's going to happen. What about something I've been involved in is the PIJF, the New Zealand On Air distributed $55 million funding over three years for public interest journalism. Is that, is that a good idea? Should, should governments be consider subsidising public interest journalism? Yeah, it's interesting. Like the, the public interest journalism fund kind of came to be, I guess, because of the enormous challenges that we are facing, challenged on the audience front, challenged on the advertising front, and there being this need to to have plurality of voice in terms of the news media and a really healthy and, and thriving news media industry and one that challenges authority and imparts information. So 
I think that anything that helps our industry to stay vibrant and to to thrive and survive long into the future is is going to be worthwhile. So you're not concerned that the government could buy influence in newsrooms? That has no, no, you've never been in a newsroom if you think that that could be the case. No, absolutely not. And that is so far from from the truth of what's happening. Yeah. Now, just circling back to you and, and, and the personal element of this interview, your career journey, have you had a plan in your career? I, I did always want to be a reporter. And I think going back to, I was about eight or nine years old, and this is going to sound really funny, but but I was watching Superman and saw Lois Lane and the reporter in Lois Lane really appealed to me. I don't know. It wasn't just Superman sweeping her off her feet. It was something to do with the fact that she always seemed to be in the thick of the action and across these, these stories that would unfold. So that really appealed to me as a kid. And so from actually quite an early age, I've wanted to be a journalist and throughout high school and throughout university I always tried to do things that would help immerse me in the in the industry so I did overnight shifts at TVNZ you know those horrid overnight shifts on the assignments desk through my time studying at university and you know worked in suburban newspapers while I was at high school and all random things like that and and was quite passionate about going into this industry from quite an early age and then shifted into radio reporting when I was out of uni and and then took a job as a producer and porter at TVNZ on the breakfast show there without really knowing what a producer did. I kind of, yeah, I was like, I don't really know what I'm signing up for here, but it sounds fine. It sounds good. So, so I'm in. And the more and more I learned about producing and you're kind of like this this architect behind the scenes of what plays out on air and I just found that immensely satisfying. Yeah and one of the sensations I had especially as you say at moments when your resilience is low which can just be a bodily fatigue thing as well is I had the feeling that I was going to screw up at any moment like that sense of having to watch yourself so that you didn't say something stupid make a poor decision or just get something wrong. Do you feel like that? All the time. <laughs> and I think it's because you hold yourself to to, to high standards. So, and I always want to do the right thing by the newsroom, by News Hub, by our company, by our audience. And I think that comes with a, a, a certain degree of pressure. And so, yeah, I do feel like that. And sometimes I do have to take a step back and think, okay, I'm not a brain surgeon. We're we're making the news and this isn't necessarily life or death. Sometimes it is, but but of course you you always just want to do your best. And I think that I, I don't necessarily think that that's something that only us as news directors would feel. I think you're probably feeling that if you're in any kind of job where there's a certain amount of responsibility on your shoulders. What's the hardest thing you've ever done in your career? I think it is just this constant juggle with the work-life balance. That is something that is is really sometimes very tough. And it can result in you feeling like you're failing on all, fl- all fronts and not giving enough to someone and spreading yourself too thin and letting people down and 
yeah, yeah. I, I think that that's, that's probably one of the toughest, toughest things. And, and when you feel like that, do you remind yourself that it's not rational or do, are you, maybe it's true? Well, I mean, maybe it is true, but I think I try to tell myself that I can't be everywhere at once and I can't be everything to everyone. So it is just if that's, that's where the knuckling down and kind of thinking about, okay, what are, what are my priorities today? What do I really need to, to focus on today? That's where that planning comes in. What's the best thing you've ever done in your career? I think it's that sense of achievement and pride when you're seeing people in the newsroom um, succeed. So we have won awards for our for um, story coverage. We've we've had our Europe team recently, Lisa Raymer and, and Dan Panett in Kiev and Ukraine, and having people on the ground over there actually really matters. We've done some amazing work through the COVID pandemic with, you know, pushing the government to really review its plans on dealing with the virus and MIQ and, and the border and that kind of thing. So it's kind of, it's that sense of pride that comes out of our coverage and seeing stories that are actually making a difference and impacting lives. Mm. Now, finally, Sarah, you mentioned earlier that, uh, that there was a difference between your experience in Australia and New Zealand does this stem from fundamental national traits? I would say that New Zealanders tend to be a little bit more reserved in, in, our, in just our, our state of being, I think, and Australians tend to be more direct and more put themselves forward more. Um, yeah, so I, I would say it, it extends from that. Is it, what, what do you think? Has it been your experience too? <laughs> Yeah, we all know, to quote Paul McCartney, that people are the same wherever we go, but actually the manifestations of behaviour are quite different. And mm. I found coming to New Zealand that people were incredibly nice and not nice just in a sort of lip service sort of way, but, you know, actually quite a caring society. Yeah. I think there's an element of within the newsrooms as well, really it's that team player kind of aspect, whereas I think they're... In Australia, in some of the Australian newsrooms, it's people are, are really set on making their stamp in their career and, and that individual success as well. well. That's a wonderful conversation. Thanks, Sarah. And uh, it's a real pleasure to catch up with you again. Yeah, likewise, Hal. Having spoken to Sarah and been reminded of the job's pressures, it feels like a miracle that some people last decades as news directors. My predecessor at News Hub, Mark Jennings, was in the role for 21 years. All credit to him. Perhaps things really were a bit easier in the past before the great digital disruption, but I still think it shows remarkable staying power. That's all from Crawford Media. See you next time. I will have a special edition for you about news music. I'm interviewing the world's greatest news music collector. Bye for now.